a long time ago on a spinner rack far, far away. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 51, Man from Atlantis, issue number three, cover date, April 1978. Hello, time travelers, and welcome back to my next segment, the second segment of my trip back in time to January 1978, when Marvel released its comic books with a cover date of April. Uh, if you're listening to this, there's two ways to hear this, and one is a dedicated feed that is just the Marvel Cosmic Comics feed, and the other way is every time I finish a month on this feed, I'm going to compile those episodes into a single large episode that goes up on the main feed for the comic book time machine. Uh, the content is the same for both the long version and the short version, except for maybe a, an intro and an outro that might be different. But um, that's 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 how I'm recording this. And so I've just finished reading the, the Star Wars and, and then I stop recording and read Man from Atlantis and, and record my thoughts about that. And that's what I'm doing right now is I'm going to talk about Man from Atlantis, which if... <laughs> I, I'm guessing most people have not read. Um, I'm guessing most people maybe haven't even heard of Man from Atlantis. It was based on a TV show that was on, uh, I believe, NBC. And it, it was uh, part of a, a deal with Hanna-Barbera. That's uh, actually from what I've been able to piece together. And during this time, they were also, Marvel was publishing Hanna-Barbera comic books, like Laugh Olympics and that kind of thing. Uh, Man from Atlantis, the setup is basically a guy kind of like Submariner or uh, Aquaman washed up on the shore with no memory. So imagine Aquaman only with a little dash of born identity, uh, but with a dash of uh, 70s hour long television adventure dramas. Uh, the Stan Lee presents Man from Atlantis blurb in the beginning of the comic book says, Journey with us below the ocean's surface to a place of darkness and eternal silence where man cannot go without his protective technology. A vast alien place in which countless secrets are hidden, countless mysteries unsolved. It was in this aquatic other world that Mark Harris was born. Stan Lee presents Man from Atlantis. And this particular issue is called Showdown in Cetopia. Like other comics of this time, it's a cover price of 35 cents, giving us 17 pages of story, basically two pennies per page of story, plus a whole bunch of ads. Because, uh, I mean, they are printing a 32-page volume here with with four more pages with the covers added on uh, so you're, you're getting, as far as story goes, two cents per page of story and a penny 
for the cover. And I have to say, the cover is not good. I just don't like this cover. Uh, the perspective is weird. Um, the proportions are off as far as the, the you have Man from Atlantis, Mark Harris, hanging onto the back of a, a mini submarine craft kind of thing that has a canopy that you can see the driver of the submarine craft. And based on the size of the driver and the size you know in the, in the background uh, and then the size of Mark Harris, Man from Atlantis, hanging onto the back of that thing. Um, it's, that thing's really long. <laughs> it's just really long, but it's just an awkward angle. You, you can't tell really what's going on. He's hanging on at an awkward angle. It just, it, it just doesn't work for me. And it, the, the inks are muddy on it. Uh, the character design, the, the guy's face just doesn't look like, well, anybody's, I mean, and there's so much kind of black inking, uh, with the shadows and stuff between his shoulder and his face that there's not a lot of definition uh, to let you know when one stops and when the other starts. It's just a not a very good cover. And considering my feelings of issue number two, which is part one of this story here that we have, which I wasn't all that impressed with, wasn't all that intrigued by. Uh, I just remember not liking it a whole lot. Um, so between the cover and the actual, you know, issue that was leading up to this, I didn't have very high hopes for this issue. After reading it, though, and I'm just going to go ahead and, and put it out there right now, my expectations were both met, and I also found myself surprised by some things that happened that went beyond my expectations. Uh, it just, when I say my expectations were met, what I really mean is, you know, it, it, there were elements of this that I was just, oh, it's exactly what I was expecting. And it, it wasn't, I, I was expecting, let, let, I'll just throw it out there. Here's the setup. Last issue, we, we met our problem. Our problem was there was a mist that came, uh, came over a fleet of vessels out in the ocean doing um, training maneuvers. And everyone on board disappeared. So Mark Harris and his friend, Dr. Elizabeth Merrill, were, were sent to help the Navy recover those missing officers. And in the process, the mist came and Mark Harris was taken and Elizabeth Merrill was taken. And not only were the people, you know, just removed from these places, from these boats, they were also then put under mind control by a Mr. Schubert who is apparently the arch enemy for Mark Harris from the TV show. Uh, I would know because I haven't seen the TV show. Although after reading this comic, you know, it kind of did its job. Now, if I were reading this as a, as a kid and got this off the stands and hadn't watched the show, I definitely would have wanted to watch the show. I think as an adult, I'm very curious about the show. And I think I've mentioned this before, especially I think after reading the first issue, I really am very curious to see what the show is like and if the show is good and or if it's just, you know, maybe not even good, but is it bad enough and in the right way for me to actually enjoy as a kind of 70s kitsch kind of thing uh, like Logan's Run, Logan's Run, the TV show. I enjoyed it as a 70s sci-fi show. And so 
I've there are two sets of DVDs out there. One is a set that can collects the TV movies of Man from Atlantis, and the other is the set that collects 13 episodes of the TV show, two of which never aired on television. It was ordered for a full season, but canceled halfway through, which doesn't give me hope that it's great, although part of that might be just the budget that it cost to film underwater so much might not have been worth what they were actually getting from advertisers and, and from viewers. So, yeah, there's a big part of me that just would like to just see what's behind this comic, especially after reading this one. Now, I understand a comic is going to be different from the show. First of all, the budget constraints are not there at all, which is evident here. Uh, our setup is that he was captured by Mr. Schubert, but he is now in Seatopia, which is an underwater city, basically. And you have, you know, the Navy going out and doing maneuvers, not because it's a big part of the plot to get there. You know, oh, that's that's the conclusion. That's the climax. No, it's a um, pretty minor part of the plot. It's just that's where these guys get kidnapped from. And so they 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 could have done, you know, they did do a lot more. They had an exploding underwater base in this, you know, straight from a James Bond kind of movie. And so they're in Seatopia, and not only has he been captured, but Mr. Schubert is going to have him dissected. And how is he going to be dissected? Well, his good friend, Dr. Elizabeth Merrill, is under mind control as well. And so she is actually the one who is going to dissect Mark Harris and kill him, find out all the secrets of his anatomy so that Mr. Schubert can create the perfect underwater human, that kind of thing. So I expected this to just go into a standard. He's going to escape this part. Then he's going to run down and escape another thing. And then he's going to end up, you know, destroying the plan. And Mr. Schubert is going to, you know, lose the battle, but then run away and, and escape to fight another day. And uh, partially that expectation was met. However, there were some other things that were happening here that I wasn't expecting. First of all, how he escaped. Uh, maybe if I'd watched the show, I would have known that he has a sonic scream that he can do. And this sonic scream does the job. It it causes uh, the mind control devices to backfire and, and, and break down. But it also causes a window in the laboratory to crack and water to start just rushing in to Cetopia. This then it creates a problem for Mr. Schubert because, you know, you, you want to keep things airtight and waterproof if you're going to be living underwater. But that's a nice little bit of storytelling where you have the hero, you know, everything is lost. He's not. How can he possibly escape the situation? And then when he finally does escape the situation, he does so in a way that escalates into another problem. That's good storytelling. And I wasn't expecting that kind of storytelling, but it's, it's good. I mean, here are storytellers. I, I should I should have done this from the beginning. It's Bill Mantlo who's writing this and Frank Robbins who's drawing. And Bill Mantlo, you know, he's a guy that sometimes he writes stuff that I'm just not all that impressed with, like Human Fly. But there are other things coming that I am excited to talk about. 
because Bill Mantlo wrote it. And he did some really amazing things with some concepts that really could have been quite stupid. Now, I don't find Man from Atlantis as a concept to be stupid. It's about a guy who, it's it's your classic, oh, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I mean, I, I thought it, thought maybe I shouldn't, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go there. It's your classic fish out of water story where you have an, an alien of some form, you know, whether it's Mork, whether it's Starman, or whether it's uh, Bill Bixby in The Incredible Hulk, where he's set off for one reason or another. And in this case, it's because he washed up on the shore with no memory, but with special powers that allow him to live underwater, leading you to believe that he probably is from Atlantis. The concept itself is not stupid. But like all concepts, it could easily be done half-heartedly, making it stupid. I firmly believe that there's no such thing as a stupid concept. What I believe is that it's what you do with it. And you can take the most stupid sounding concept, but if you do good characterization, if you have good plots, if you script intelligently, the most ridiculous of concepts can be successfully written. And the greatest of concepts can be unsuccessfully written. And this is one that I just, because of last issue, because of the cover, I was expecting this to not be well done. And I was kind of wrong. I, this isn't a perfect comic. This isn't a greatest story ever. This isn't going to be on anyone's list, anyone at all in the whole world. It's not going to be on anyone's top 10 comic list unless it's one of 10 comics that that person has ever read and never read more than that. So, yes, if a person has only read nine comics, this will go on their top 10 list. If that person only read 20 comics, it still might go on their top 10 list. I mean, this is not groundbreaking, but it is solid storytelling because, well, I mean, first of all, like I said, it has that whole idea of as much as things go right, because it goes right, something else goes wrong. And then you have to overcome that. And it it's good escalating storytelling in that regard. The other thing that I wasn't expecting, and, and part of this, that I wasn't expecting this because I was stuck in the James Bond mode. I was just looking at this as kind of a ripoff of a James Bond style of villain. James Bond style of villains plot, a James Bond style of villains lair even. And I was so just kind of stuck in that mode from last issue that I wasn't expecting the mist that, I mean, we're in the Bermuda Triangle and Mr. Schubert has this mist and I just thought the mist was a weapon. But the mist, they actually flirt with the idea that the mist could be a almost sentient form of, of life. And not, you know, they also kind of flirt with the idea that it's just, you know, doing what it does because it's a natural occurrence. But Mr. Schubert uses this mist to actually teleport people to his lair, to Cetopia. 
And then as Mark Harris comes after Mr. Schubert, Mr. Schubert adjusts the chemistry of the mist so it becomes a disintegrator. And it, he says, I'm going to go ahead and sacrifice Cetopia to destroy you. And so the mist is going and as it goes, it's just kind of destroying everything. It's destroying the computers, it's destroying the walls, it's destroying chairs, it's destroying everything. And it's kind of creeping around toward Mark Harris. Now, at this point, I'm still not thinking in terms of it could be sentient, but I am liking this idea of him fighting mist. And he actually is fighting the mist. It's not just a, a mysterious thing. It's a real threat that's coming after him. And he figures out a way to escape. And he's able to to get to Mr. Schubert's escape uh, vehicle, like you see on the cover, and hold it in place. And then the mist is coming. But then there's a mist on one side, and there's another mist on the other side. I really wish they could have played more with this this idea of these this mist creature that actually is what causes the disappearances to happen in the Bermuda Triangle. And these two mist things kind of converge on Mr. Schubert's thing and teleport him away. Where is he? Who knows? He's gone away so he can come back on the show sometime or come back on one of these issues sometime. But it's it's great. It's fun. It's comic booky. And it just I enjoyed reading it because I wasn't expecting any of that kind of thing to happen. Uh, now, they they do not I, I might be reading into this as far as it being kind of a sentient creature. And but once I started seeing it as a sentient creature, I mean, now we're not in James Bond territory. Now we're in more of a Star Trek territory or or a Twilight Zone territory where, you know, this villain is going to use this creature as a weapon. And then the creature rebels against it because it goes against the creature's nature and maybe, like I said, I might be reading into that, but once I started wondering, okay, so why is there, you know, two mists now? Why is one coming? It just seemed to me the original was going after Mr. Schubert, and then a second one was coming because it was maybe attracted to the danger that the first one had been put into. And so then I'm starting to wonder, okay, so does that mean these, you know, this mist when it was coming after Mark Harris was actually instead of just creeping around because that's what mist does, you know, it goes into the air and it just floats around going where the currents of air are taking it. Is it actually choosing to go to these places and choosing to come after Mark Harris and then choosing to when he has the opportunity to go after Mr. Schubert and the idea really started intriguing me and I feel like I've I've read, you know, kind of an interesting story with some interesting complications and some interesting implications as far as the story goes. Now, what the story itself does give us is that Mr. Schubert is, you know, he sees the one mist and he says, but what's it doing on both sides of me? It can't split itself up like that without evaporating unless, oh, no, there's another mist. No, not mine. But and then he's he's gone. That's what the story really gives us. And then at the end, what the story is really focusing on is this whole Bermuda Triangle thing. Uh, Mark Harris says, I think Mr. Schubert dared to tamper with forces far beyond his understanding. Both he and his destructive mist fell victim in the end to the real secret of the Bermuda Triangle. And so, you know, maybe what you have there is, is just that other mist is the natural 
uh, way of things in the Bermuda Triangle, and that was coming and took away both Mr. Schubert and the destructive mist that was going to you know destroy everything that it touched. And maybe there's no sentience there at all. It's just a, a natural occurrence. But whatever it might be, I kind of liked it. I, I liked it in the way that I would hope to like it. Now, I would love to have liked it more, but to come in with low expectations and then have them you know, met by this you know, kind of clever little story, uh, I, I, I feel like my <laughs> if, if it had been me spending 35 cents back in the 70s, uh, I would have definitely felt like I, I got my money's worth. As it is where I was for these Man from Atlantis comics, I think they were a dollar, a dollar twenty, something like that. Uh, yeah, for a dollar twenty, yeah, it was a, a worthy investment, a, a worthy investment in in time and fun. And I got some little bit of discussion out of it, talking with you, and I got a little bit of fun thinking about it. And I enjoyed reading it both the first time and and the rereads as I was taking notes and that and that kind of thing. Now, usually, what I have said I would do is I would hold off on recommending things though until I finish a story arc. Uh, issue one had a couple different stories in it. Then issue two and three are together one long story. Uh, the, I don't know how long this run of comics of Man from Atlantis went. Here with issue number three, we do have a, a breaking point with a new story in the next issue. The next issue that's promised says, oh, where is that? Uh, next issue, The Killer Spores. So it looks like we have some you know, more natural occurrences that he'll be fighting against. But issue two and three, do I, do I recommend not in the same way that I would like <laughs> star Wars, uh, where it was so interesting because it was a uh, part of star Wars history. This man from Atlantis series, I don't see there being a lot of people really wanting to rush out and get this, uh, unless, you know, you really like that kind of seventies comic storytelling. And, one of the again, one of the ways that I've kind of learned to look at this is I'm reading a comic book, but as I'm reading this comic book, I'm looking at it through the lens of I'm watching a TV show about Aquaman. What if this comic was Aquaman's TV show in the 70s? And that's another reason why, man, I, I just kind of you know want to see the show itself. But so as far as recommendation goes. Like I said before, this is not groundbreaking. This is not changing the medium. This is not going to make you, you know, look at this and say, oh, now I understand storytelling more or, oh, this art is amazing and I want to cut some of it out and put it up on my wall. This isn't going to do any of that, but it's a nice diversion. And, you know, if I was trapped on a, a deserted island and all I had was Man from Atlantis comics to read. Uh, at least the first couple of times, the first couple of weeks of being trapped on that island, I would enjoy myself. Maybe after week three or four, I, I could use it to start a fire. Who knows? But that ends this segment of the uh, walk through Marvel's Cosmic Comics. And from here, well, you know, since this one went above my expectations, I'm going to go to Human Fly next, which I have a feeling is going to just meet expectations. And Human Fly, well, my expectations are fairly low there. So I think that's where we're going to go next for the next segment as we're looking through April 1978 cover date comics by Marvel. So 
Until next time, thank you for listening and Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Next episode, The Human Fly, issue number eight, Mayhem at the Metropolitan. A charity stunt flings the fly into conflict against the incredible Copperhead. Special guest, the White Tiger.